Hey, we've made it to Genesis chapter 25. So we've made it to the 25th chapter in this book, Genesis, that we've been studying for the last 25 weeks. And if you've been tracking along with us, you'll know that um, since about chapter 12, um, Abraham has been the major character. He's been the one driving the narrative of the story of Genesis. There, when God called him in chapter 12, the last 13 weeks, we have been studying this man we call the father of faith, Abraham, and his life. And through the ups and the downs, <laughs> the agony of defeat and the thrill of victory in his life, we've seen that. We've seen God remaining faithful to the man that he called, the man that he chose to make a special people, the Israelites, through. We've seen, we've seen God stay faithful to his promises and to this man. And we've seen Abraham, although we've seen him crash and burn many times over the past 13 weeks, He's held the course also, and he's remained faithful to God. So much so that we call him the father of faith. In the New Testament, he is the pattern of which how men are supposed to believe. Amen? Well, tonight, we're going to say goodbye to Abraham. The curtain calls coming for Abraham. The narrative's changing. The story's changing. We're going to spend a little bit of time in his, late, his latest years, and we're, we're going we're gonna to see his death and his burial. We're going to say goodbye to him. But we're also in this chapter going to be introduced and reminded of some other characters that are very, very important if we are to understand the journey of this nation that's starting to form God's chosen people, moving through the story of the Israelites these people are very important. And there's about basically five characters in this chapter. And it, I'm going to kind of break this chapter down in about five parts based around five people. Okay. Um, we'll just break it down that way. In the first four verses, we're going to talk about a woman named Keturah. We'll talk about her and what her significance is going forward. If this narrative is going to play forward, we need to figure out why is she in here from verses five to 11. If you're a note taker, we're going to say goodbye to Abraham. So from five to 11, we're going to close out his life and see what his last living will and testament are. Then we're going to go on to Ishmael in verses 12 through 18. We're going to say goodbye to him too. He's going to die in this chapter. And then from 19 to 23, we're going to talk about Isaac. And then finally, in the last part of this chapter, in verses 24 to the end, we're going to talk about, and I grouped them into one person, Esau and Jacob, the twins, the rambunctious twins, right? So that's how we're going to break it down. First section, verses one through four, let's check it out. God brings up in his scripture, a woman named Keturah. Let's check that out. Chapter 25, verse one. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokchan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. 
Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Bledeshim, and Lamimim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Hanok, Abeda, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. And if anybody's pregnant in here and you're looking for names, there were some good ones in there. There are some ones I could barely say, but there are some names in there. So who is this Keturah? These four verses, that they're, they're, he brings up this woman, Keturah, and we know at the very minimum, verse one says, is Abraham's wife. And she wasn't a, a wife like Sarah was a wife. She was a wife like Hagar was a wife, right? Do you remember in chapter 16, when Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar cooked up this plan to manufacture, they took matters into their own hand. When Sarah was barren, they were gonna try to produce the promised child on their own, and they thought that they would take the Egyptian servant, Hagar of Sarah, and give her to Abraham to produce Isaac, but it didn't happen. They got Ishmael, the son of the flesh, right? But in verse three, more to the point here, Sarah says this. It said that Sarah took Hagar and gave her to Abraham as a wife. And he went in and conceived and Ishmael happened. So a wife. Now these two women were slaves. They were concubines. They were either given or bought into Abraham's family. They were secondary wives. Sarah was the primary wife that wasn't bought or given to. She was his wife by choice, right? So yes, Abraham was a polygamist. And God tolerated it in those days. If you haven't figured that out in the Bible yet, okay? It was okay back then. Suppose, I like to use the word, he tolerated it, <laughs> It's not tolerated now, if you didn't know. <laughs> when the New Testament came in, when Jesus came on the scene, right? We learned that marriage is between one woman and one man forever. That's what it's designed. Is it's supposed to show out Christ, Jesus Christ's relationship with his church, right? Ephesians tells us that, right? So these these polygamists moved. They start, in the Old Testament, God tolerated. Things changed. And if you remember, some people hung on to that. It's not okay now. Some cults like the Branch Davidians and the, the LDS church up to about five minutes ago allowed polygamists, right? It's not right. That's why Paul writes to Timothy, if you want to know a qualification of a pastor, an elder, a leader of a church, one of them is it is a man with one wife. He's a one woman type of guy because some, some people carry this tradition on. I don't know why anybody would want more than one wife, but evidently some people did. Just kidding. Anyways, be that as it may, 
Not okay now. This Keturah was a concubine. It says that in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, she was a concubine. She was a secondary wife. But when she became a wife, just like Hagar, she got some legal status. She got some claims to his estate when, when he died. So she was a secondary wife. Sarah was the primary wife from which God would bless the promised child with Abraham. Significant, I think, because if you saw there, she gave Abraham six sons. And these sons themselves are going to become fathers of distinct Arab people and tribes in the East. I don't know if you know Genesis chapter 17, verse 4, when we covered this, there God, God promised Abraham something. And let me read it for you. It says there in 4, this is God talking and promising Abraham something. He said, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. That's more than just the Israel, what he's building. He said, out of you will come many nations. This is the fulfillment of that. Does anybody else seem it kind of significant that he used a concubine at the end of Abraham's life to fulfill his promise? That's quite a, remarkable to me. And out of all these people, you may recognize in most significance is, the, is Midian. You got to understand at least the Midian. Let's just take one of these sons and how significant they are. This guy, out of him grew a nation called the Midianites, right? Do you remember the Midianites? If you know your Old Testament, these guys were, they came from Abraham, but they were the thorn in the, in the, in, in the Israelites for a long time. I don't know if you remember um, Judges chapter 6. Right before Gideon, the judge comes on to snap Israel out of their funk. It says there, in, as is the trend in the judges, right? Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and then the Lord would give them over to these other people so they would, a judge would come and, and set them straight. And it says there in Judges chapter 6 that, that Israel was given over to the Midianites, that they were stronger. They overpowered the Jewish nation. And God allowed that to teach them a lesson. It says they were so powerful and had so many numbers that they had to live in caves in the mountain. And when they came down to try to plant crops or to, to raise animals, the Midianites would come out of, the, out of the southeast. They would come up and they said that their camels and their people were so numerous you couldn't even count them, it says there. And they would trample everything and they'd have to start over. This is the fruits and the fulfillment, okay, of God's promise to Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. Kings would come out of him. One of them is this Midianite nation, the Midianites. Do you understand? God allows these people in the story of of his people, to teach them, to use them. He moves everybody. And the application of these first four verses might just be, you know, God's, God's, God promises something, he's gonna get it done. He promised him this fulfillment of that 
are these nations and these kings that will, will be ruling in the Arabian Peninsula? That's gonna, if, if this didn't happen, that wouldn't be fulfilled. So he fulfilled it right here. He made sure you and I knew that he's a faithful God who when he makes a promise, he keeps it. He's the promise keeper and the promise maker, amen? That's God. And he uses a concubine to be the most fertile of all. Six sons to become kings. I find that quite remarkable. He uses everybody. It's his choice who he uses. His promises are yes and amen. So that's Keturah. When I think of Keturah, I think there's a lot of these, these nations you can, you, you, you can parse out and you can study, but the Midianites are easy. We'll be talking about them all the way through the Old Testament. They were related to Abraham. Abraham fathered the Midianites through Keturah. Amen? The next person is Abraham. Let's check it out, verse 5 through 11. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away for his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days and the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his son, buried him in the cave of Macbeth in the field of Ephron, the son of Zophar and Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with, his Sarah, with Sarah, his wife. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Berla-Roi. Abraham, he's the character in these verses. From Keturah to Abraham. And it says here, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Here, Father Abraham sets Isaac apart as the promised son, the heir, the one that he will pass down his patriarch to, that will be the vessel from which God's promises will flow when Abraham dies, right? Genesis chapter 21, verse 12. A lot of these are just fulfillments of God's promises. Let me read it to you. God predicts this. You remember in that chapter, Isaac's both born, but he's younger than Ishmael. And when they wean, when they, when they wean Isaac, do you remember they, they threw a party? Do you remember the story? And do you remember what Ishmael did during that? He laughed, disrespectful to the promised child, and it fired Sarah up. Sarah's like, this son will not share the inheritance with Ishmael. Send Hagar and Ishmael away. Remember? Remember? Send them away. And this deeply distressed Abraham. He had these two sons, right? And God said to Abraham in verse 12, God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy, Ishmael, making fun of being disrespectful. And because of your slave woman, Hagar, don't be displeased. Whatever Sarah says to you, Sarah said, send him away. Do as she tells you, for though Isaac shall your offspring be named. It's through Isaac. Give everything to Isaac. 
Isaac's going to carry on for you, Abraham, not Ishmael. Send him away. And you remember, if you remember the chapter, they gave him, gave her some water and some food and said, bye-bye. <laughs> so, so Abraham here obeys God, shows his obedience, and he gives everything to Isaac, makes him the heir. He would get it all, both materialistically and spiritually more important here. There was a spiritual inheritance coming. All those promises of the promised land and all the people, everything God promised to Abraham would be now promised to Isaac. He set him aside. Everything except, if you caught it, some token gifts to the sons that we just mentioned. It says there, but he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines, but he, they sent them away. So all these people, six sons that we mentioned in verses one through four, plus Ishmael, that's the concubine son, seven sons. He had eight in total, Isaac being the promised one. He, he gave them some gifts. Again, concubines, but they were wives. They were, had claim to some things. He gave them a, a token gift and sent them away, setting up Isaac to be free, to be the patriarch, the head of the house. He wasn't going to have to compete with any of these. He sent them away. Set apart Isaac to be the head spiritually and practically. He sent them eastward to the Arabian Peninsula, east of the promised land, clearing the way for Isaac. Set him apart. He would be the one that would be blessed. Isaac and Isaac alone is the first thing he does in this section. Sends him away, gives the inheritance to Isaac. It says that Abraham then breathed his last breath at 175 years of age. Awesome. It says that he died in a good old age, an old man, and he was full of years. Now, this speaks more than just of a long old man. This is a man in the original that had a long life, but it was a happy life. It was a life full of perfect peace, what we would call shalom in that language, a special peace and satisfaction of a life lived to its fullest. The word picture in the original Hebrew phrase would be like this. It's about a feast. In the East, they feast. You take a table and you pile it full, full of the best food that you could ever imagine. Every kind of food and every kind of drink, sweet, salty, meat, sweet, everything that you could imagine was on this table and you got to sit down and you could eat whatever you wanted. And it has this connotation that you ate till your heart's desired. And then when you had your full, when you were satisfied to the maximum that you didn't think you had to try anything else, you push the table away and then you leave. That's the idea. He left and took his last breath being fully satisfied that he did all he could during his years. There wasn't a thing that he tried or didn't try that he, he had no regrets. He lived life 
to the absolute fullest. And then he got up and he breathed his last breath without regret and full of shalom and satisfaction. He died well, you could say. I want to die well. Do you guys want to die well? We don't like thinking about this. But if you're like me, you're getting a little older and people around you are starting to die. And I've had the privilege to see people take their last breath. And some people do it well and some people go kicking and screaming. I want to die well. I want to die full of years. Not only age-wise, if God takes me tomorrow, I want to be able to push my table away and go, I have no regrets. I'm satisfied. I have peace in all of my relationships. Listen to me now. You don't know how many breaths you get. And if there is something in your power, if there's something in a relationship that you have to clear, I would recommend to cut it the heck loose. You should cut it loose to the Lord. Because when you die, people who struggle, they think they're going to have more time to make it right with so-and-so. What are you going to do when you're old and dead with your old stupid pride anyways? Be wrong, would you? Just be wrong. <laughs> oh, man, I had, the, I had that thought. I want to die well. I hope God gives us all the courage to open our door into eternity when the Lord turns the key and to be and leave in peace and satisfaction that you take that deep breath and say, Lord, here I come. And there's nothing between me and anybody else. If it was in my power, I made it right. And you breathe your last breath. You know how many people die with something between their sons and their daughters? It ought not to be that way for Christians. I'm telling you, we're all going to die unless the Lord comes back. And I would highly recommend that. This touched my heart because I saw that Hebrew phrase, like the feast. You have chances. Don't have regrets. If today's the day, call your dad up. Call your son up. Hey, man. I rec highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. And all of this happened just as it's spoken in Genesis chapter 15, verse 15, chapter 15, 15, it says, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Same phrase. God predicts that's the way he's going to die. And he's speaking of this next phrase. It says that he was gathered to his people. Right? This is the fulfillment of a faithful God that you're going to die full of peace and satisfaction in an old age and you're going to go after that and you're going to go be gathered to your people. What is this speaking of? Well, you know, since the very first person lived and died, although our tents stop breathing, we have personal existence into eternity. No matter who you are, your souls and your spirits live on, right? They live on. 
And Abraham, when he died, he went where all the Old Testament saints went. Do you know this place? It's called Sheol. That's what they called it. And he went to be gathered in a specific compartment of Sheol called paradise. That's where he went in the Old Testament. Or sometimes later it's called Abraham's bosom or his side because it's where Abraham went when he died, <laughs> right? Jesus hasn't came on and resurrected for the, the final time, risen, went back up to heaven for, for the last time to set up heaven. That's where the Old Testament believers went. He went there and he gathered there. And it's a great study. If you want to study, study Sheol, it's awesome. One compartment's called Paradise or Abraham's bosom, but there's another compartment called Hades and it wasn't a good place. It wasn't a spot of comfort in paradise. It was a, a spot of, of torment. Do you remember the story in, what well, was it, Luke 16? This is where you can study this, and it's an amazing story. It's the story of the rich man and then the poor man, Lazarus. Do you remember the story? There was one man named that was really rich. He wore purple. Purple back then was a sign of this guy had money. He had money. And he ate at a table, and it said that he ate extravagantly every night. And what fell off his table, this beggar, Lazarus, Eight. He survived off the scraps off his table. It said he had sores on him and that the dogs would lick. So here's the imagery. This poor man would stay under the table where the dogs were. They would lick his sores and they would eat the scraps off the table while they both died. And if you remember the story, when the beggar died, he went to Abraham's bosom. Same place. He went there. But when the rich man died, he went to Hades. And if you remember, the rich man looked across a big chasm, a gulf, remember? And he saw Lazarus. He saw the poor man and he saw Abraham. He's like, hey guys. He said, Abraham, will you tell Lazarus to tip his finger in some water and put it in my mouth? And do you remember what Abraham said? He said, no one can come and go. These compartments, they're divided by a gulf that nobody can cross. And the rich man's like, would you send Lazarus back from the dead to tell my brothers to repent? Because they don't know what's happening here. Sheol, two compartments. Paradise, Abraham's bosom, huge gulf that no one can pass through and then a very bad place called Hades. Abraham, when he died, he was gathered to his people, the Old Testament saints. It would be renamed Abraham's bosom because he was there. That's where he went, amen? Fun study. You should check it out. I love that story. But that's where he went, literally, when he died. His soul and his spirit were there. And it says that Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. And then he blessed Isaac. God blessed Isaac. So I think it's cool that he got buried next to his wife in the plot that he bought in the cave where his wife was. And I like this phrase. It said, after he was buried, God blessed Isaac, his son. Abraham blesses Isaac by giving him the patriarchy. And then God says, yes, I accept that. I bless Isaac. Amen. 
Now, a little bit of application for this section. Abraham's really, 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 really old. Okay? (laughs) He's really old, but not too old for God to work his promises in. Now, as an optometrist, you might, me, you, you, you might imagine I see a lot of old people. And I like old people. I do. Just hearing their stories and but there's two type of old people. None of you here are this type. <laughs> but they're the type of people that have retired. And I'm not talking retired from work, but they've checked out of life. They've retired from all service, everything. They're just done. And they are enjoying nothing. They don't do well. The ones that may be retired from their day job, but that are doing stuff like raising grandkids or serving in church or fulfilling God's promises in their family's life when they're 80 or 85, those ones are blessed and they have a different countenance. They even see better. I'm not kidding you. They're awesome, right? Maybe I like old people because I'm becoming one of them. I don't know. But here's what I know. If you are alive today, and you may not feel like you're alive, but if you're drawing breath, I don't care how old you are, God is not done with you. Not even close. Otherwise, the Lord Jesus Christ would go click and you'd go be with your people. (laughs) You go to heaven and be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Why can't we remember that? It's a lie. Retirement's a lie. It's an American lie. I I see I'm, I'm preaching to the right people today. Oh man, save up. Don't check out. Spend it. Spend it on God and his kingdom and people. I just feel like we lose it sometime in America. We put all these time in, oh, I'm just going to check out. I'm done. I burnt myself out at the factory. But if you have breath in your, in your lungs, he's not done with you. Here's proof of it right here. God did really good work with Abraham when he was old. Really good work. Perhaps maybe... If you're old and you think you're burnt out, you're wore out, you're used up, and you think God's done with you and he's want to use all these young whippersnappers, maybe you should read Judges chapter 14. Maybe you should remember Caleb because Caleb was a feisty old man. You ever see Secondhand Lions? You ever see that movie? Those two old, that's Caleb. He's going to fight to the end. You may remember that story. Caleb and Joshua were the only two spies. They were 40 years old at the time when they went into the promised land, right? After Israel, exit, you know, in their exodus, they're just taking another lap around Mount Sinai because no one believed they could take the land. They went down to spy off first and all the spies said, it's a great land, but there's giants in the land. And, and I don't, we're like grasshoppers and, ooh. But two of them, 
Caleb and Jake, uh, Joshua, what did they say? We can do this. Let's go in. This is a good land. God will give us the victory. They were overruled, but guess what? I don't know, maybe 50 laps later, I don't know. It was 45 years later. Caleb is 85 years old. Joshua taking him, crossing that river, going into the land of milk and honey. And do you remember what Caleb said? It was, it's awesome. He rolls in there and says, Joshua, when we were 40, I told you we could take this land because God would make us great. I'm 85. Give me that mountain right there. And I don't care if there's giants on them. I will, I'm as strong as I am now than I was when I was 40. Give me a spear, right? <laughs> I'm like, Caleb, are you kidding me? Give me that mountain. And I don't care if there's giants on it, he said. This would be for God to be strong in me and I'm gonna go take our promised land. That should, that's, a, that's a chapter that if you're over 65, you should read every week. Maybe then you'll have that attitude that old people are the best, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was speaking to the choir tonight. There's a lot of gray hair in here. I like it. So awesome. Man, I don't know why our society, dis I don't know, I, I think especially in America, I, I, I feel like other cultures do a bit better, but we aren't very good to our elderly. We look at youth, and, and it ought not to be that way. There's so much wisdom. There's so much usefulness in those years that God will redeem and make his purposes come true through you guys. So please, I'm with you. I'm getting old too. Okay, Isaac, uh, Ishmael's the next one here. We better hurry. Verse 12, these are the generations of Ishmael, Isaac's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptians, the 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 Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth, Naobeth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kadar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jitur, Nafish, and Kadema. Those are some other ones, pregnant ladies. You got it right there. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite of Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen, Ishmael. You may remember Genesis chapter 17. God promises Ishmael something, doesn't he? He isn't the promised one. He isn't going to get the patriarchy. God's not going to bless through Ishmael, but he's going to get something. And in verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 20, God says this, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him gratefully. He shall father, check it out, 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. So Ishmael, 
the son of the flesh. Right? Chapter 16. Had 12 princes. God's fulfilling his promises through Ishmael. He had, if you read those names, add them up, there's 12. Just as he predicted hundreds of years earlier. Tell me that's not amazing. He sent out these 12 princes. They represented tribes. They settled in the east towards Assyria in the Arabian desert. I think they think it's now Saudi Arabia. Those are the people that came. Those are the Ishmaelites, if you will. That's where they settled. And as predicted, as he pre-told, he would be over and against all his people. He's a fighter, right? Some of those Arab, you understand the Arabs, Right? True to their word. Application for this short section. We know about Ishmael. We've already studied Ishmael. He dies here. We say goodbye to him. His story is over. His people are going to live on in the Arabs. But God's even faithful to him. And this is remarkable to me. You think Jacob's the good one, right? <laughs> or Isaac's the good one. <laughs> Ishmael's the... God had something for him. And for some reason, he allows the Arab people into the story of history Maybe he uses them against his people to get what he needs out of them. I find it quite remarkable that he blesses even Ishmael. Not a promised child, but a flesh, fleshly child. The next section, we move to Isaac. Verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac. This section is dominated by Isaac. Abraham's son, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramin of Pada Aram, the sister of Laban, the, the, the Aramin, Armenian, to be his wife. And Isaac, and Isaac prayed to the Lord his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived and the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. And one shall be stronger than the other and the other, the older shall serve the younger. Isaac. It says here that he was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. You remember that last chapter when they got married? So he was 40 years old when that happened. She was barren. So Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife and the Lord answered his prayer and Rebekah conceived. If you read ahead a little bit, you'll find out that when she conceives these twins, that she's going to, we're going to get to, he was 60. So they're married. She's barren for 40 years, at least 39 years. She's barren. In other words, Isaac prayed for his wife for 40 years. Come on, that should shame every husband in here. <laughs> right? <laughs> These are, he prayed for over 40 years. That's powerful. Prayers are powerful. For 40 years, the consistency 
and the discipline to pray within God's will, because it was, he didn't give up. He kept praying, and he kept praying for 20 years. And by the way, have you ever thought of why the trend is repeating itself? Why Rebecca is barren? Sarah was barren. Those were the two that were going to give children that were going to carry on and form this great nation of Israel. Do you ever think about why were they barren? I mean, the concubines are popping them out like nothing. Have you ever thought that maybe it's so you could see the hand of God in those pregnancies? That it would give a whole new meaning to these ancients of immaculate conception, right? But this is divinity here. Listen, the hand of God's written all over. All over Rebecca's body. All over it. All over Sarah's body. These, these women were barren for years and years and years. But yet God did a miracle to prove us that grace is grace and what's done in grace is done graciously. It's not done naturally. This is, this is the idea here. Yes, pray consistently. But Rebecca was touched by divinity and she conceived. And God used Isaac's prayers to make this happen. It was powerful. And I don't know if you, re, if you caught it, but Rebecca, it, she, she got pregnant, but she got really pregnant. And if you, if you saw her, it said she got really pregnant. These, the, these, her, inside of her, there was two people struggling. Maybe the first twins. I don't know. Probably. It said, she said, why is this happening to me? Uh, maybe a translation would be better rendered like, if it's going to be like this, I wish I never were pregnant. Any woman ever said that? I think what was going on in her stomach obviously was turmoil. These two twins were at odds with each other. And even in their womb, they were like going at it. Right? And so she's like, what is going on? And did you see what she did? When there was trouble in the stomach, in her womb, and it wasn't normal. No doubtedly, she had helped with childbirth. She knew what was normal. This wasn't normal. She probably asked all the ladies, is this normal? They're like, this isn't normal. <laughs> and what she did was, it said that she prayed. She sought the Lord. Something's not right. What do I do? Huh, this is a godly woman. Not from, if you know her story, she's not from a family that, would pray, but she did. She prayed to the living God, the God of, of Abraham, said that she prayed to him. Isaac prayed to him. And do you know what happened is that he answered her. If you read it, it says that, yeah, there's two nations inside your stomach. You're going to have twins. There's two of them in there. And later we'll find out their names are going to be Jacob and Esau. And they're at odds with each other. Two people will be in there and they'll be at odds. They'll be divided one from another. One's going to be stronger than the other one. And the younger one is going to rule the older one. Twins, two boys. 
We'll see Esau and Jacob. Through them, two nations will be born. Obviously, you know Jacob. Through him, his name, God will change his name when he grows up a little bit to Israel. Wow, that's a nation, <laughs> right? Obviously, nation Israel. Esau, later we'll see he drinks some red soup. So they nickname him Edom. He's going to be, he's going to be the Edomites. Two nations inside her belly. And God says this, the younger one is going to rule the older one. Why? I don't know if you've thought this, but why was it Jacob to be the heir over Isaac? I mean, over Esau. Why, why is this? They're not even born yet. It's obviously if you read Jacob's story, not because of the superior merit of Jacob over Esau. It's not because God looked through the spectrum of time and saw that he'd be a really good person. It was God's sovereign prerogative to choose Jacob. And in here, you see the doctrine of God's choice. His sovereign prerogative to pick who he wants to pick. And it was to overrule the custom of the day. The elder son would always get the inheritance, would always get the patriarchy. It wasn't him. For some reason, God chose Jacob. And you might ask why. And my answer would be, it was the same reason why Abraham got picked instead of his brothers up there in the Ur of Chaldeans, making his idols with his brother. God picked Abraham. He picked him. Not because he was a super good dude, but because it was his divine sovereign prerogative to choose who he wanted to choose, and he chose Abram. It's the same reason he picked Isaac, not Ishmael, right? It's his choice. And I might add, it's the same reason why he picked you instead of your unsaved neighbor. Yeah, I said it. He chose you before the foundation of the time. And you can fight that all you want. But God's sovereign providence, his choice is his choice. And I know people don't like this. <laughs> what about free will? Yeah, I believe in free will too. But it has limits. God chooses who he chooses. And if you want a chapter on this, it might be pretty enlightening to you. It's Romans chapter nine, talks about God's sovereign choice. And this story he brings up, Paul does, to explain God's picking or choosing you and I before the foundation of the time. Check it out, in Romans nine chapter 10, it says this, not only this, but Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. That's, he, Paul just interjected into our story tonight, didn't he? Rebecca's pregnant through Isaac, though they, they were not born and had done nothing good nor bad in order that God's purpose of election or choice might be continued, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob, I love, and Esau, I hate. What? That's what God said. 
Evidently, God is the first hate speaker. In this hate word, isn't he wants to kill him or let him die? This is the hate word of Esau repulsed him. Literally, that's what it means. I loved Jacob. Esau repulsed me. As we'll see, it's because he had no, he had no bent towards spiritual things. God chose you before the foundation of the time, before the foundation of the world. He chose you. He chose these people. I don't know why. I know this, that he's a good God and he wants every, everybody to come to him. But in the end of the day, he divinely picked Jacob before he did one thing when he was in his mama's tummy. And if you look at the story, we'll go into Esau and Jacob. It says, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And when the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate the game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Esau, he came out. He was hairy and red. So they named him Harry. That's what Esau means. Very, very uh, unique. He was rough, aggressive, outdoorsman. He was Isaac's favorite because he went and killed stuff and he liked to eat what he made. Jacob came afterwards and he came out holding his brother's heel. They were still fighting. <laughs> heel snatcher is what he was. Quite literally means usurper or over, overturner. Someone who supplants. He seemed to be more calculated more amicable, more agreeable, and then he'd snap your heel. Some people would say tricky. I think he was a wrestler. That's what I think. If you remember in chapter 32, we're gonna see him wrestle on the Lord. Jacob was a wrestler. And at the heart of him, he wrestled and he was a heel picker. And let me tell you, someone like me who's, who I've wrestled at the highest level, getting a heel pick isn't easy. There's a couple of ways to get someone's heel when they know you want it. One is you can be blazing fast. And at the highest level, everybody's pretty fast. So very few people can do that. The other way is you gotta be tricky. There's a man famous wrestler named Dave Schultz. And he wrestled in, in Russia when Russia was the Soviet Union. And they gave him a nickname. He is Jacob. They called him Sly Fox. He's the Sly Fox. They gave him furs. Every time he wrestled, he, wasn't, he was super slow, not very strong, but he was tricky. And he was called and nicknamed by the Russians, the Sly Fox. That's how Jacob gets heels. He's a Sly Fox. 
And we'll see, we'll see him do that in the last section here. Last few verses, Esau sells his birthright. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom because he wanted the red stew. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. And what use is my birthright if I'm gonna die? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Hmm. I think we gotta start with just a short little class of cultural competency. And I don't know if you know this, but if you're a medical practitioner in the state of Oregon, you have to take a year of cultural competency along with ethics, two of my favorite classes for my continuing ed. Like you can teach someone to be good and kind. And anyways, I regress. But let me, it's when they try to teach you about different cultures and mine would last about five minutes. It just treat everybody good and we're done, okay? Anyways, here's your class. In those days, the birthright was very, 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 very important. And it always went to the firstborn. It entitled him to be the head of the family. The patriarchy would be passed down to him. He was going to lead the family from there. He was the priest, the spiritual leader of that family. And he also got a double portion of his father's inheritance when he died. It was very important. And more to the point here, the firstborn would get the birthright of the spiritual blessings that God promised Abraham, their grandfather, this person would get. It was really, really, really important and really, really, really valuable. And Esau didn't want it. He didn't value it. Jacob did. He didn't appreciate its worth. Esau had no appetite for the spiritual things. He didn't see the blessings with the birthright. He saw the physical, I'm hungry, right? What good's my birthright if I'm gonna die here? Maybe he was hungry, I don't know, but he was quick to sell something so valuable for a gulp of lentil soup. He was of unholy character. That's why he repulsed God. And this is one of the scenes that I think gets God to say that. In Hebrews chapter 12, man, it's dark up here. I'm not gonna lie to you. I might have to put my glasses on like Pastor Matt. 12, 16. Writer of Hebrews calls Esau immoral and unholy who sold his birthright for a single meal. He didn't care about the deeper things. He cared about his gut. That's what he cared about. Jacob, because of this, snatched it, took the opportunity. There's a lot not to like about Jacob. Some people say he, was, he tricked him. He kind of did. I don't like this scene, to be honest with you. And it reminds me of a quote from Spurgeon. He said this. The lady came up to him and said, I don't think it's right that God, I can't 
I, I can't appreciate that God, God, God said he, he, that, that, that he chose, that, that, he, that he chose Jacob in the, in the womb. I don't like that. That's not fair. I don't like how he, that he loved one and hated the, I don't, that's not fair. And, and, and Spurgeon said, I don't think it's so remarkable that, that God didn't like Esau. I think it's remarkable that he loved Jacob. <laughs> right? He could, should have just given his brother a drink of soup and talked about it, right? But he didn't. He tricked him. He took advantage of it, but he valued it. He valued it. And that's to his credit. He fought for it. He wrestled for it. He heel-picked for it because he thought it was valuable. And one thing I tell my son who wrestles at a, at a college level, I, when, I, when I call it, talk to him, sometimes I try to fire him up. I say, hey, Gabe, listen, no one's going to give you anything. You're going to have to go out there and take it. And if it's valuable enough, you'll put it all on the line and you'll go take it. And at least to Jacob's credit, he went out and took it. That's to his credit. He valued it. The way he got it, I don't think it was so honorable. But listen, the application here before we finish up here is that our spiritual things important to you and to me. Let me just stick it to you that way. Are we just so blinded by the material? Paying our bills, moving on, right? Are they important? I got the sweetest text from my mom today. And it said something like, if your dad dies before me, would you pick me up on Sunday so I could worship with you? And then there was a bunch of emojis. I, I, can't, I can't believe old people emoji. They emoji so much. That's somebody who's thinking about spiritual things. Would you, can I worship with you when my husband dies? Amen, right? Amen. Father, thank you for this chapter. Thank you for your word. I pray it would have its way in us tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness to your promises. Thank you for choosing us before the foundations of the, of the world. We bless you. You're worthy of our praise. We lift you high. In Jesus' name, amen.